Today we're going to be in a couple different spots. And I hope you came ready, ready to experience the Lord. Amen? I know that God has been stirring as we've been praying and fasting. Last week we were talking about a couple of things. Kind of related to the theme that we've been working through in this time of prayer and fasting. So I've been thinking, you know, and, and I was reminded of something that I've often thought of before as we're going through this week, and that is this. I've wondered why Jesus Christ had such a committed prayer life. Now, you might think, well, that, that's an obvious. It's a given, right? Like, we all know that prayer is important. We all hear about prayer all the time. It's a given, Brian. Why would you think that Jesus Christ would have anything other than a committed prayer life? But I've thought about it. Why Jesus? Why him? Why he who, you know, had equality with God, but yet did not consider his equality something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became in the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death and even death on a cross. Why him commit himself to such a dedicated life of prayer. Have you stopped to consider that one? Maybe like me, maybe you have, I don't know. But I read the Gospels and I discover that Jesus often would withdraw to go pray. Let me just give you a few of them. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, very early. Okay, early for these guys. It's not early like us. It's early like they're getting up to go to market. They're getting up to go about their business and trade, to go tend to the, to the sheep, to the flocks, deal with their agricultural type of, of life. Not early 7, 8, 9 o'clock, but early like, you know, uh, 4.30 a.m. So if Jesus is getting up very early in the morning, it's earlier than 4.30 a.m. While it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Mark 6, 46, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Luke 6, 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. Luke 9, 18, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him and he asked them, hey, who do people say that I am? And we know that Peter started launching into something that the Holy Spirit gave him in that moment. Luke 11.1, 1. now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. In other words, this guy does this so often. He's often going off on his own. He's praying. He's interceding. He's seeking God in a desolate place, and the disciples are constantly looking around. It's like, where's Jesus? I know that that's definitely what happened after, you know, Jesus exploded on the scene on Capernaum and he is changing things. He's telling them to cast the nets on the side and they collect fishes after these guys have fished all night long and couldn't catch nothing. And then he goes and he heals Peter's mother-in-law and then he's doing this and that and Jesus is performing all these signs and wonders and they are riding a high, excited for the mighty works of God and they look around early in the morning and where's Jesus? He's off in the wilderness again praying. Jesus often would go pray. He prayed in private. He prayed in public. 
He prayed while his disciples were within earshot. He prayed when he's far away from them. He prayed early in the morning and he prayed all throughout the night. He prayed before ministering to people and after doing so as well. He prayed for strangers. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for himself. He prayed for all of us. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He prayed before launching his ministry and he prayed upon completing it. He prayed at every turn. He was always praying. There is no ignoring it. If you look at Jesus Christ in the four Gospels of Scripture, if you look at what the other writers of Scripture, like in the book of Hebrews, and and you look at what Paul says, they all attest and ascribe this fact. Jesus often prayed. But the question is, why? Why? For me, why? Why does Jesus pray so much? I ask this because I feel like a reconciliation is necessary. Can I just be real? I'm in church. I heard that in church you're supposed to tell the truth. Oh, no witnesses there. That's a trick. It's true, but it's also outside of church you're supposed to tell the truth as well. Somebody should have corrected the preacher right there. Come on, guys. I heard that we're supposed to tell the truth, so let's reconcile something. I asked, why did Jesus pray so much? Because the scriptures declare Jesus to be God in the flesh. And what has God for prayer? What need has God of prayer? He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is it all. He was there, the firstborn out of all creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does God need to do with prayer? He knows all things, has all things, has all power, is in all places. What does a God need to do with prayer? I ask because wouldn't some of God's attributes render my prayers redundant? You know, have you ever thought about that? Well, if God knows everything and if God is sovereign about, you know, his plan, he can do independently what he desires to do, then why am I praying? Wouldn't his attributes nullify and cancel my prayers i ask because i see an incongruency between the lord who prays and his followers who don't ouch i ask because of all the church events everything on the church calendar the prayer meeting is the least attended service i'm preaching to the choir Okay. I'm, anytime I'm preaching up here, I'm preaching to myself first and foremost, as every preacher should, because we're not devoid of being followers of Jesus Christ. We're also on the journey following after him. But sometimes I wonder why did Jesus pray so much? Because of all these things, of all these things, and as we're in this corporate season of prayer and fasting, I feel it's fitting for us to revisit this topic and revisit this discipline. Last week we explored, okay, the latter. Today I want, us to, I want to challenge you with the former. We talked about fasting last week. This week I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer. But I don't want to talk to you about, you know, obstacles and this and that and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot that the scriptures talk about prayer. I want to talk about it in line with what we are doing here. All right? My hope is that if we're spending this time together, as we look into this, unpacking the scriptures, 
that we are going to walk away with a newfound mission, with a newfound commitment, with a newfound life and vibrancy and excitement and enablement. We will walk away understanding why Jesus prayed so much, why he was so committed to the discipline of prayer. We're going to walk away saying, I pray to God that this is true, makes me want to pray. So, if you're with me, you want to grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew. In front of you or behind you, reach over, grab it. Go to Mark chapter 9, and let's begin with the obvious, obvious, very clear. It doesn't take a rocket science to see this reason why Jesus prayed so much. Go to Mark chapter 9. Father, I pray that you would just right now minister your truth in our, word, in our hearts, that your word, Lord God, as you have promised, will not return void, that it is, Lord God, sharper than a two-edged sword. I pray, Father, as we yield it, as we put it into practice, as we, Lord God, don't just leave it on the shelf or on the podium or on our nightstand, but God, as we put it into practice in our hearts and our lives, that, Father, it would cut down deep into the innermost parts of our being, Father, and change and transform us. Holy Spirit, I ask you that you you would increase and that I would decrease in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Mark chapter 9, you're there, say amen. All right. Why did Jesus pray so much? Because prayer provides power. All right. So let's just look at this real quick. Mark chapter 9 tells us that a father had brought his demonized son to Jesus' disciples. He brought his son who was afflicted by, by these evil spirits that was causing him to convulse and have seizures. And it was debilitating this kid's life. And it was causing havoc within the family. It was something that was well known within the community. People would see this issue and no one could do anything about it. And so this father brings this son of his to the disciples of Jesus in order to drive it out. And promptly after the disciples have failed to do so, the father comes to Jesus to report to him what happened, to express his displeasure. Hearing that Jesus rebuked his disciples, uh, hearing this, Jesus rebuked his disciples most harshly. And he says, oh my God, how, how long shall I be with you all? How long shall I be with you guys? And he rebukes them. And then we'll pick up the story right here in verse 25. It says this. And when Jesus saw a crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. One sentence. Just notice that one sentence. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out of the boy and was like, the boy was a cor like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. Verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, a mighty miracle has happened. The people thought the boy was dead. The boy is now set free because he is the God who breaks chains and, and, and breaks strongholds. He sets the captives free. When all that was done and the fanfare was over and Jesus went into the house, the disciples came alongside and said, hey, master, can you talk to us a little bit about what just happened over there? And they asked him, why couldn't we cast it out? Verse 29, and he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. It can't be driven out by anything but prayer. I wonder how long those disciples had tried. 
how long they had persevered, how long they were there trying to do this work. I don't know what time of day the father showed up and said, disciples, I've got a problem. Help me. I need you. I don't know if they were there for half a day, for all the whole day. I don't know if they were there for an hour or two, for two minutes, five minutes. I don't know. But I just imagine them there working just trying everything within their power, taking out every single tool from their toolbox, every single insight and word that they have heard, everything that they have like seen and witnessed in terms of manifesting spirits and dealing with, the, with evil spirits. And they start speaking that and binding things and casting things out and declaring things and prophesying things, pleading things and commanding things. I don't know what they did, but whatever they did, it wasn't effective. And after all that effort, over all that exer- ex- exertion of, of strength, of energy, of words, of stamina, all of that sweat, blood and tears, whatever, they're unsuccessful. But where the disciples failed, Jesus succeeded. He shows up on the scene. He's briefed on the situation. What's going on here? What's the commotion? Why are all these people around? What's happening? Oh, you guys, oh, come on, man. How long are you guys going to be doing this? How long must I be with you all? Come on, come over here. Watch. Here we go. Uh, what's going on, Father? How long has he been like this? What, what happens to him when it happens? Okay, thank you for the news. Oh, the crowds are coming. I don't want to be over here performing my signs, miracles, and wonders. I'm telling everybody to not speak of the mighty things I've done right now because there's the messianic secret right now going on. Let me perform this miracle. Hey, you, get out, gone, boom, done. It's incredible how Jesus shows up on the scene and and in, in, in a moment he heals and he changes everything. It's interesting that he could be in a crowd of people and people pressing on all sides of him. And in the moment, a woman who has issues of blood for 12 years, in one moment, she can be set free. It's interesting that Jesus is often performing miracles in a moment. He's the God who is doing mighty things in a very short period of time. Jesus Christ often does something incredible in short spans of time. He, in a moment, opens up blind eyes. In a moment, he cleanses a leper. In a moment, he uh, restores a withered hand. In a moment, he drives out spirits. In a moment, Jesus goes and he casts out demons. In a moment, he raises the very dead. He puts his hand on a coffin. And in that moment, the child wakes up. In a moment. Isn't it incredible that Jesus does everything so quickly? That he is able to do that so efficiently, so effectively. It only takes him but a moment where it takes the disciples hours and hours. See, church, what I want you to understand, that uh, very first and foremost thing, that we need to redefine this idea of prayer in our lives, is that we look at prayer and we want the supernatural to happen in a moment. And we look at prayer and we say that it's all something that's going to happen and God's going to do something miraculous. And we always have a default setting that it's going to happen right now in this moment immediately and it's going to be awesome and incredible. But here is the reality, church. Jesus does not perform miracles in a moment. He performs it in the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of daily prayer that he's doing every single day. That he's going away to be with the Father. To get a download from heaven and say, I want to know your will, Dad. I want to know your will, Dad. I want to understand what you would have me to do today. While the world is sleeping, I'm going to spend my time with you because I want to get to know who you are. I want to step closer into your presence. I want to have relationships with you. I want to be close to what you are calling me to do. I want to be sensitive to your calling and your prompting. When I show up in the marketplace later on, after I've done all of my prayers, and you're going to bring somebody before me, I want the power and the virtues to just flow off of me when the woman touches me. 
God, I want to be able to say to the leper that you can be cleansed as I touch him. Why? Because I've spent time in preparation receiving your power and your grace. Sometimes I wonder, though, if I take that very idea of what he did and why he prayed and what he showed us, and I, you know, transfer and transpose that to the church and to my own life and to, you know, the Christian walk, I wonder how many of us have inverted that where we would spend one minute in prayer with God and then we spend hours and hours and hours hitting our head against the wall. Why isn't this working? Why can't I get this done? Why don't I have the direction? Why is this thing falling apart? Why is the brokenness happening? Why is all this? Well, could it be that it's because we spent one minute in prayer and we're spending hours with men, hours before men, hours trying to deal with this issue and that issue? Jesus is like, look, I flipped the script. I spent hours with him. I spent hours with my father. I do nothing unless my father tells me to do it. If you have seen me, you have seen my father. Why? Because I have spent so much time with him. I look like him. I talk like him. I act like him. I am in relationship with him. If you have seen me, you have seen him. Why do we pray? Why should we pray? Why should we go into our prayer closets? Why should we brush up our prayer books that we leave unattended? It's because if we want to experience a mighty move of God, we need to be invested with his power. We need to know his thoughts and his will. We need to be aware of his word. As we spend time praying to God and praying, communicating with him, because prayer is a two-way communication, as we pray up to the Lord. He goes ahead and he downloads things in our spirit. He speaks to us. And some of us may have an audible experience with God. I haven't had one of those yet, but I'm asking God to have something where I know he's spoken in my spirit before. But one day, God, if you choose to just blow my socks off and speak from heaven, I want one of those in Jesus' name. But if that doesn't happen, I know he speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me through his revealed plan of salvation. He speaks to me through nature. He speaks we need to go spend time with him that he may speak to us and we may have power in the moment where we most need it. See, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples had been given authority over evil spirits. They had casted out demons before. They went out two by two and they did exploits. And when they came back, they said, Jesus, oh, look at what we did. We cast out this demon and that demon. Jesus says, hey, hey, let's not boast. I saw Satan himself fall from heaven. If if you're going to boast about what you saw and what you did, I can boast even more so. I want you to focus on what matters. Continue fulfilling the plan. Get close to me. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. See, the minute miracles we see are hours in the making. Hours in the making. And so that that expression that goes like this, where there's much prayer, there's much power. Where there's little prayer, there's little power. Where there's no prayer, there's no power. Lord, forgive me if I've tried to operate without power. If I've been operating in a season that requires much with a tank that's filled with little. Lord God, help me to focus And devote myself to you. How ridiculous is it to believe that we can pray one minute and also have mountain moving faith? 
It does not match up. It does not coincide. Something does not compute. So Jesus would pray. And he would be invested with power. The follower of Christ must realize that Jesus Christ calls his disciples to tasks that are beyond their abilities. And our inadequacies should drive us to our prayer closets. It should drive us to a place where we're yearning for God to move, which is a gift in and of itself. As God has ordained it so, he's made this rule whereby we go in the secret place and he will then take what is done in secret and he will reward us in public. God allows us to practice in private what he wants us to perform in public. He allows us to practice. How many of you are practicing what God wants you to perform in the public sphere? Get busy. First reason why Jesus prayed so much, he needed the power. Why? Because him in, Jesus in his sovereignty decided to be Fully God, yes, but also fully man. He did not lay hold of the realities that he was fully God and take that as advantage. When he entered into human flesh, he subjected himself willingly to live just as we live and show us it can be done. It can be done. You can be victorious. That's why he says later on, be of good faith. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome what? The world. Be of good faith, for I have overcome the world. First reason why we need to get busy in prayer is because we are going to be invested with power. He's going to provide us the power that we need. We are called to do things beyond our abilities, and it will not be our own strength. If we start looking at our own strength, then we have lost our sight of Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and we are operating in our own power. Listen, church, our own power won't cut it. It won't. Now, that's the obvious reason, right? You could, have, you could have, you know, spotted that a mile away. So let's get a little bit deeper here. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I want you to look at something here. That is why Jesus prayed so much. When he entered into human history, becoming born of a virgin, taking on human flesh. Why did he pray so much? Why? Because prayer, it exercises dominion. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God is in the business of creation, he is doing everything within his power. He is, you know, speaking the world into existence. He gets down on the dirt and the mire, and he starts building and shaping man out of the mud, out of the earth. He forms man in his image and likeness. And it tells us here in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them have dominion. Some Bibles say, let them have rulership. Let them rule. Let them govern. Let them have authority. Let them dominate. It says a bunch of different things, depending on your translation. Jesus prayed when he was on earth so intently, so steadfastly, because he understood this very critical truth. That on earth, when you're on the realm of earth, when you have stepped foot on this side of eternity, that all dominion belongs to mankind. Did you hear that? 
Jesus understood that on earth, dominion resides with man. God said, let them have dominion. He did not say here, let us collectively have dominion. Let us have a partnership with man. Let us work together in this thing and subdue and dominate and subjugate the world. No, it said, let them have dominion. God didn't include himself. And that is huge. That is absolutely critical. God in his sovereignty, God in his own decision, in his perfect plan, when he looked at the plan of of mankind and what he was doing with all of creation, when he foresaw what could have happened in the garden with Eve and Adam and the Satan uh, and the serpent, he foresaw it all and he chose in his sovereignty to say, let them have dominion. That is huge, church. That is absolutely huge huge. God decided that in the realm of earth, man, and when I say man, I'm talking both genders, man and woman, would have dominion. He would relinquish his jurisdiction on earth to mankind. He would take and co-sign his authority to mankind for a season and for a period. He would give his authority to man, and he would allow them to be the ones who would have authority. It does not speak just to when we look at history, we see kings and kingdoms and all these things. Not only specific men and special men have authority and rulership. No, that's not what it means. It means that all of mankind has been given this incredible tool, this incredible fact, this incredible rule of dominion. Everyone. He's granted temporary dominion. That's why Psalms 115 verse 16 says this, the heavens are the Lord's and the heavens, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Some people have questioned why they should pray if God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. And if he is sovereign, why? Because in his sovereignty, he can do whatever he wants. If he knows everything anyways, and he can do anything he wants, he will be able to do whatever he wants uninfluenced by me. You ever thought about that? Why should I pray? He already knows the words. Psalms 139. Before the words are on my lips, you have perceived them from afar. You have hemmed me behind and before. You saw me in the innermost parts of my mother. You knit me together in her womb. You called all of my... God knows it all. Why should I pray to him? Well, you pray to him because of this simple reality of dominion. The heavens belong to him, but the earth he's given to man for a time. It's like this. Anybody here ever been on a cruise before? Raise your hand real quick. You've been on a cruise. All right. I don't know where you've gone. I've never been. One day I want to go. Honey, we'll go on a date. It'll be a great time. But here's the deal. Let's say a, a ship is leaving Boston for Bermuda. The cruise ship is, is, is going to leave the port in Boston and go to the port in, the, in, the, in Bermuda. Whatever the city may be, I've never been there. So forgive me. But imagine that. The destination has been set by the authorities. We're going to go to this island, to this nation. Nothing is going to change that reality. The ship will go to Bermuda. And inside the ship, there are countless, countless amounts of people. Hundreds and hundreds of people going on this cruise who's paid all their money. And all these people are free to do whatever they want within the cruise ship. They're not chained down. They're not bogged down and saying, and their schedule is not dictated to them. You are only allowed to do this. No, on that ship, they can go and read if they want. They can go chit-chat on the balcony. They can go for a dip in the pool. They can go watch a show. They can go to the buffet line for the 17th time that day and gain extra pounds. They can do whatever they want during the trip. They just can't change the outcome and destination of where the ship is going. 
And in that reality, there's both truths, whereby there's the authority who's already outlined certain parameters, which is God. God has determined certain things. He has a redemption plan. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether willingly or unwillingly. He's already proclaimed that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. He's already determined that there is one way to salvation. He's made that true. But while we're on the ship, going on the cruise, we have free will to do whatever it is that we want. We have the jurisdiction to say, God, I accept your plan, and God, I reject your plan. God, I want to align myself to the, ch- to the children of God or I want to align myself to the scoffers and to the wicked and sit around their table. I can do whatever I want while I'm on the ship. And so God's sovereignty is not violated and his willingness to say, I give you some choices. I give you the choice of dominion here over the things that happen here. It's within your control. It all reconciles and it works. God desired it to be this way. Now, did you know That God, who declared this to be so, is the God that, if you read the scriptures, does not change who he is. Did you know that God does not violate his word? God does not change his promise. See, what God has said, he will do. It says in Psalms 119, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. That's why it says in Matthew 24, 35, the heavens and the earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I say all this to bring out this truth. If God has said it, then God will fulfill it. If God said it, then God will keep his word. If God declared dominion to belong to man, he's not going to come back down and say, I'll take that back. So what does that mean for you and I? That means that if God has declared that man has dominion on earth, That means that if we want to see God move, if we want God to answer prayers, if we want God to change situations, if we want to see lives transformed, if we want to see our region explode with the gospel of Jesus Christ and lives being redeemed, then we need to solicit God to move with his authority when we relinquish our dominion back to him. We say, God, I have the authority. I have been given the dominion. And Lord, you called me to pray. So I'm going to enter into this process. I'm going to enter into this discipline. I'm going to enter into this holy office of prayer and intercession. And I'm going to call and bind on earth what you already bound in heaven. It says that you do not wish that any man should perish, but that every man shall be saved. God, that's your will. Why isn't all men being saved? Because we're not praying that they would be so. I'm going to connect with you, God, and I'm going to understand the dynamic of this dominion and say, your will be done here as it is in heaven. Dominion belongs to man. See, God is not a God that moves upon information. Did you know that? He's not a God that moves upon need. Because if he was, he would be the God who would be right now healing and restoring every single person in every hospital all around this world. If need was what needed to to, to be given to God so that he could do something, then he would be there already doing it. If it was faith, um, now that's different. Right? Partnering with God in faith is what we look at 
getting power because you get power by hearing the word of God and, and faith grows as you're in him and through him and having relationship with him. And so it is not information that's going to move God. It is not the, the need that's going to move God, but it is the dominion that is released, the declaration of God's word, the promise proclaimed. It is his plans and his desires and his will being actually invited into this earth that's going to change the circumstance. We have to invite him and solicit him to come on in. Now, sure, God has moved and he made. He said, I'll have the rocks cry out to me and give me praise. He actually, when Balaam was going against uh, God and, and the angel was there, he made and caused a donkey to be able to speak and challenge that man. But God has chosen the vessel of humankind to fulfill his plan and his promise. We need to enter into the reality of dominion. Now, a word of caution when it comes to this. Here's where purity, here's where character, here's where the, the weight of this reality is absolutely crucial for our lives. Because dominion can be lost. Jesus Christ, when he was beginning his ministry, the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness. And Jesus went to a place that was arid and desolate. And he was there praying and what? Fasting. He was in a period of dedication, pressing into God, experiencing more of God's power and presence. And as he is there, who shows up? Satan comes through to tempt Jesus Christ three times. He tries to get Jesus to renege on God's promise or word or bow down before him and all that stuff. It tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And when he did so... With all their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, when Jesus meets Satan again and again, he doesn't go there and argue. He just takes the scriptures, what he's you know, instilled in his life, what he's cultivated within his heart, what he's deposited and meditated on time and time again as he's praying the word of God back to God, as he's revealing back to God that which he's already promised. Jesus brings that to the surface and puts it in Satan's face. He doesn't argue with him. Notice how he doesn't go to Satan and say, hey, you know what? Actually, let me fat check you for a second. You're wrong. No, he says, I will not worship you. Why? Because Jesus knew this reality. Yes, you have all the kingdoms of the world and all of its authority and glory in order for you to give. Why? Because somebody has given it to you. And I know that wasn't God. Who gave it to him? Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, they went over and co-signed their dominion. They co-signed their authority. They co-signed their legal right to Satan. Satan showed up and he invaded illegally through the serpent. Side note. When Jesus cast out the pigs and cast out the demons from the pigs... Those, those pigs, you know, he cast them out of the people and, he, and they asked to go to the pigs. They, they go there because there's a dynamic in play here. They couldn't operate without a body. And here, Jesus is like, yes, there's an authority that was had and it was lost. But don't you worry. I'm not going to argue with you. You are telling the truth. 
for once. The father of lies, you're actually telling the truth. You're going to give me all these kingdoms if I submit to you. I won't do so because God calls me to something greater. And I've already worked out a plan with my father because I was with him from the beginning. And we have foreseen the end from the beginning. We have made the proto-evangelion available right back there in Genesis. We've already taken care of this because out of the seed of the woman, there will come one that will crush the head of the serpent. And she will come and bear a child. In the fullness of time, God will release the Savior, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin and she will legally be able to purchase and redeem that which the enemy stole illegally and she is going to cancel this whole thing through the great plan of God dominion belongs to man when we sin when we invite sin into our lives when we play with sin when we toy with sin when we flirt with it when we do all of these things we are in essence saying i am going to sign over to you satan here you go i don't want this anymore you can take this have authority over my life go ahead and wreak your havoc enter your demons bring your things into my life bring your havoc misery loves company one will bring another and another by the time that we finally realize that if we're not careful we are so deep and stuck in the muck and mire because we have relinquished our authority i got a little boy he loves to watch disney shows and so it's like ariel going over to ursula the the sea witch and co-signing her voice over to her when we sin we're basically saying here you go i don't want this anymore so church why do we have to pray We have to pray so that we can take back the dominion that God has given us through Jesus Christ. We have to pray so that through the dominion that he's instilled and bestowed upon us, we can invite him and ask him to operate within the sphere of our lives in our community. And number three, if you go to uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I want to just look at one last thing. Jesus Christ prayed so hard because he knew it was power. He prayed so hard because he knew the detail and the rule of dominion, that God is a perfect gentleman. He will not come in and impose his will on people, but he invites cooperation. But then Jesus prayed so steadfastly because of this reality that we'll find in other parts of the scriptures. First Timothy chapter two, prayer is a responsibility. Jesus prayed so hard because of the responsibility of the matter. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 4 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high places, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, prayer was so desired. Prayer is to be so desired because it can impact more than our personal needs. Prayer is something that God desires to see making a difference at a macro level. Prayer is something that he designed to be a macro level activity, something that is going to actually shape the reality and the fabric of society. He wants us to be praying not just for ourselves, not just for our our, our own desires and our own needs, but he wants us to be praying for the governments and the neighborhoods and the cities and the states and the countries around us. God wants to fulfill his plan in all of the earth. See, be honest with me for a second, and let's just be true here. You don't have to raise your hand. I want you to just contemplate in your heart. How many times have you stopped praying for your needs? You've completely foregone praying for your own needs, your own desires, because you were so occupied. You were so caught up praying for the needs of your state, for the needs of the White House, for the needs of your state house. 
I hope it's more than a handful of times. Does the government we live under influence and impact our lives? Does it? If we don't think it does, then maybe we were sleeping during COVID. If you don't think that it does, then maybe you haven't gone and put gas at the gas pump. If you don't think it does, you have not attended school and seen what is being proclaimed and professed at the school systems. If you don't think that what is happening in our government is actually influencing our lives, he says you should pray that you may live peaceful and quiet lives. You must pray for the government. Why? Because government influences our lives. Good government is the will of God, for it facilitates the preaching of his word. Can he expand? And he has throughout all of this book. If you read the book of Acts, when persecution came and the governments were hostile and people were were antagonistic towards him, it just multiplied the gospel and it spread like wildfire. Why? Because people couldn't stay still or they'd be caught. So they went and they spread it. So God will move in all manners, but if he has an open road, if there is peace and a quiet life available, then God can advance his kingdom in a greater way in a faster, more efficient manner. And that is why we pray. Why don't we pray, church? We think what happens in our government, what happens in the state house, what happens in the country, what happens in our neighborhood, what happens just on the other side of our house, of our door. Like maybe we feel like we have some semblance of control and autonomy and authority within our homes, but we feel like everything that is happening just outside my front door, I don't really have power to control. It's beyond my control. So what do we do? We start complaining. We start criticizing. We start, you know, shrugging off our shoulders and ah, this, this, c'est la vie. You know, that's what it is. It is this way. What, what can I do? We do everything except we pray. Except the thing that we should do. No wonder there's a worldwide moral decline happening because people are not praying. The person who looks around at the decline and starts to complain is a person who has failed at his job of prayer. Just a sobering thought. The next time I'm looking and I'm saying, I can't believe that this politician said this or said that. Oh my gosh. Brian, why are you complaining? You should be praying. You should be seeking God's wisdom and understanding. You should be pressing into God to receive his power, to release his dominion, to declare his promises, and thereby get a download and see what God has called you to do, to step into the need and the issue and the situation, and do something to change, to hold back. See, Jesus knew this. That's why Jesus declared in Matthew 5 a beautiful thing. He spoke in parables, but he says this, you are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it has lost its flavor? You are. Can you become salty again? He says, if you um, have lost your saltiness, you're going to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're worthless. And then he goes on, he says this, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop, you cannot be hidden. If you take those in reverse order, and just think about that for a second. What does a city on a hilltop represent? It represents something that's conspicuous, something that's visible, something that's there that nobody can deny. It's right there. I can see it. 
You're supposed to be a city on a hill praying for the nations, praying for your government, where everyone can see that you are championing, petitioning. You are requesting, requisitioning God to come and step in. They can see you interceding over your city. You're supposed to be the light of the world. What does that speak of? Light has no substitute. Have you ever thought about that? Nothing can replace light. Nothing has the a power to replace light. In the same way, God has a plan and nothing shall replace you. God has said nothing shall replace mankind. You are my plan. I've entrusted this thing to the twelve. And the 12 have gone and made more disciples. And now there are billions of you. I have entrusted it to you. It's not going to be a program. It's not going to be a technology. It's not going to be a new invention. It's not going to be anything else. It's going to be you. There is no substitute for light. We are to pray because it's a responsibility. And then he goes on. He says this. You're the salt of the earth. What is salt good for? Salt is good to give flavor. When food does not taste good, what do you do? You add some more spices. You add some more seasoning. You throw some more salt on it, and it tastes better. And here's the reality. What, is, what, is, what are we supposed to make better? We're not supposed to be the salt of the world for our own sakes, but we're supposed to be the salt of the earth so that we can make the world more palatable to God. We're supposed to make the world more appealing and more attractive to him, that his power and presence can come and manifest on this earth. We're supposed to do what salt does, which is to preserve and push back corruption, not allow the spoil to come in and set in. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth so that we can stand on a standard and say, this far and no further. Satan, you're not coming here. You're not coming into my home, into my neighborhood, into my community. You're not going to wreak havoc on my school system. You're not going to wreak havoc on my family. You're not going to declare what is morally right and morally true. We are supposed to be the salt of the earth and take responsibility in prayer that we would be able to, in that sense, bring God's presence, that good government, peaceful lives would be perpetuated and the gospel can go out in power. Amen? All right. I've gone over my time, but if it's okay, say amen. All right, the rest of you guys, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Let me just bring out one last thing. See, Jesus knew this. The Old Testament writers knew this. We're responsible to hold back the forces of corruption. And it's not just political. It's not just social. It's not just moral. But we have to understand that right now there is a battle going on around us, and it is spiritual. That is why Daniel had an incredible revelation. God decided it is important for me to give you this revelation so that all of you would understand the, 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 the true nature, the magnitude, the importance of this thing called prayer. Here it is. If you connect the dots with me, you go back to Daniel chapter 10. It tells us that Daniel... In this passage right here, he is praying. God has, you know, called. He's in exile. He's in a nation and things are not good. He is being tempted and, and his life is in danger. And Daniel has been praying and fasting. God is going to speak to him and give him a vision. It tells us in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 through 14 and then verse 20. Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of what? Your words. I've come because of what? Your prayers. I've come because you have sought power. You have stepped into dominion and authority. And you have taken the responsibility to pray. I have come because of your words, Daniel. 
and the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief priests, uh, princes, sorry, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. And if you drop down to verse 20, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And here's the kicker. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. See, the prince that he's talking about is, like I said to you guys last week, we touched on this scripture. It's not the, the, the king of the region. It's not the prince, a, a man that is there. But it's the power and principality. It's a stronghold in the heavenly realms. Because just like God has his hierarchy of angels, the enemy has his hierarchy of powers. And so he assigns them to regions. He assigns them to nations. And Persia was the dominant ruling party of the world back in that time. Them with the Medes, they ruled the nations. And so there was a spirit manipulating the king of that nation. There was a power and principality behind the scenes. There was a spiritual world superimposed on top of the natural world. And they were controlling and pulling the strings. They were the Illuminati behind the scenes. The conspiracy theory of your choice. It was there. It is in the spiritual realm. It was happening. And so God reveals to Daniel, look, I started answering your prayer way back then. You would have had the answer way back then. But when I came... When I left the third heaven, when I left uh, the the heavenly places where God abides and his angels minister, where God is said to reside, and I step down and I try to come to the realm of earth where you have dominion, there was an imposition there. There was an obstacle in my way. There was the spiritual realm where the enemy resides, and he started warring with us. So we fought, but I broke through, and I broke through to give you this answer, and I did so. Because you need to understand, you, Daniel, are holding back through your prayers, through your petitions, through your releasing of dominion into the spirit realm, answers. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray. The empires of the earth have their counterparts in the spiritual realm, and Satan seeks to control empires. He didn't stop then. When Persia left its power, Greece came through. Alexander the Great stepped on the scene, and he subjugated. There was a whole new spirit with that nation, and don't you know that today it's the same thing? On the world scale, there are enemies and demons. There's powers, principalities that are trying to have the ear of men, that's trying to take pillars of society and trying to direct with a message, with a morality, with a code of conduct, with what is right and what is true. That which was declared to be wrong is now declared to be right. Who do you think is making that so? It's not a politician or a person who says, I have nothing better to do today, and so let me just decide this good idea because this feels right. There is a power and a principality behind it. And the church needs to pray. That's why we have to pray for the governments in order to frustrate Satan and his powers and principalities. In order to bring the governments back under heaven's control. So that by we doing that, we are able to experience a peaceful light and a quiet life. And see what God will do. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Paul said, first, pray for the governments. It's interesting. Paul didn't say, pray first for the missionary. Pray first for, you know, the pastors. Pray first for the widows and orphans. Like James says, true religion is taking care of widows and orphans in their need. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, pray first for the governments. 
I think in this time of prayer and fasting, as we're seeking the Lord, we need to understand that God has given us more power than we know. I love to swim. I just love being underwater and, and, and experiencing the peace and the serenity of being underwater. The world fades away. And in that moment, just able to spend time just with my thoughts and enjoying moving through. But I can't stay underwater long. And as I've read and, 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 and seen you know, different people who've set records and all that stuff, they'll often say to you, you can actually spend minutes upon minutes underwater without coming up for air. I'm lucky if I last a minute. But you can spend minutes and minutes underwater. The trick is that you need to understand how to quiet your mind. You need to understand how to take every thought captive. And when that fear and anxiety that you're maybe going to pass out or, or die, your body is able actually to, to continue a little longer. I think uh, there was a movie that just came out. They did a lot of shooting under, underwater, one of James Cameron's movies. And uh, the actors had to do a lot of shooting underwater. They would do 10 minutes at a time. And some of these actresses and actors who have no experience, like multiplied their resistance, their ability to hold their breath longer underwater. See, church, God has more power within you than you know. He's given you more authority than you will understand. He's given to us more dominion and more power than we truly grasp. My question is, what are we going to do with what he's given us? What are we going to do with what he's provided to us? Are we going to step in and pray and seek the power that he has reserved for us? Are we going to leverage the dominion that he's given us to actually say, get thee behind me, Satan. Get out of here. You got no control over this. I got this. God's given it to me. I take it back. Because when Jesus stepped on the scene, we'll wrap up with this. When he stepped up on the scene, he was born of a virgin. He came, he lived a sinless life. He did what no man could, could do. He lived perfectly. Why? Because he had the DNA of the Father. He had the lifeblood of God. He was here perfect, without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. He lived and he reigned. He was crucified on the cross. He was broken and chastised for our punishment. And when he died, this is what he did. He stepped down into the pit of hell. He went down into Hades in the grave and he said, Hey, Satan, give me back that which you have stolen. I take back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he went and he led the captives free. He took with him all those that were there in, in, in that place waiting for the promised day. And he led them out victoriously. And he came back, resurrected Jesus Christ. Made a promise. And then he said this, I'm leaving. But don't you worry, I'm not leaving you guys orphans. I'm sending my spirit now who will abide in you. And now he will be the one that will take shape in you. Now, God cannot operate without people, right? Well, now I'm going to send my very spirit inside all of you. And I'm not going to operate on just one man. I'm going to operate in millions and millions and millions of men and women. Billions. Church, what if we wake up to this reality? That if we, this billion army strong, would start praying 
if we would start praying beyond God, thank you for my food. There's nothing wrong with you praying, praying over your food. Please do so. What if we went into our prayer closets and we started praying that God would break strongholds? What if we started to pray, God, I want to see the baptisms of the Holy Spirit with people. God, I want to see lives being transformed. I want to see my neighborhood saved. God, I want to see families restored. God, I want to see the power of alcohol and drugs completely, Lord Jesus, broken off of individuals. I want them to show up, Lord God, when they come under the the power and the anointing of Jesus Christ. If the person was drunk, was high, that he would be sobered in an instant because, God, I've paid the price in praying. What would the church look like if we took hold of the keys of the kingdom that he's given us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, however long it was, I pray that you would minister in every heart. Jesus, I'm done playing games, God. As a church, There is a lost and dying world right outside our doors. There are people right here in this room that is in desperate need of you. God, I don't want to play games. Lord, I want to take names and kick some butt. Pardon my French. But Lord, I want to be active in your work. I want to, Lord God, get into the field. Lord, I want this church to be redeeming this nation, redeeming the society around us. Lord God, reclaiming the promises of God. Lord, help us to wake up, to rise up, and to step out, Father, in boldness and authority. Take, Lord Jesus, us by your hand. Help us to invite you in. And Lord, let's take back some territory. Lord, I thank you that this year will be marked. It shall be the year of advance. Lord, I feel it prophetically. I declare that over every life, every family, every individual, every child, every parent, every adult, every senior citizen, every, Lord God, young adult, every single one of us, God, I declare it now in Jesus' name. Advance. Lord, I invite you to minister your truth as we seek you and go from this place. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You're welcome to stay in worship with us. We're here for prayer, but may God bless you, fill you, empower you. Go out there and make a difference in Jesus' name. God bless you.